So this morning, we're thinking about where we are. And so special thanks to Alex for bringing us our reading this morning from where he is today, all the way across the Atlantic in Boston in the United States. And it's great that thanks to technology that Alex can be part of our service this morning. And uh, just as Zoe and I have been able to join, to be with the service uh, from different places each of these last few weeks. Now, this morning, I know that we have people watching and listening from here in Linfield, just around the corner, and as far away as Boston uh, and Perth in Australia. And on our comments, we've had people's location described variously as Lavenden near Milton Keynes, just down the road, uh, Lavender Drive, Blackthorns, and West Wittering. I wonder if you can figure out who those individuals might be. And I wonder how you might describe where you are watching from this morning. If you're here, perhaps you might just say, well, I'm in church, or I'm in Linfield URC, or... I'm on the high street. But if you wanted someone to visit us, you'd have to give them a more accurate, a better set of directions. A sat-nav could get you pretty close to here, within a few hundred yards at least, with just our postcode. But if I needed something delivered, I would need to give our street address here on the high street for it to get to our front door. Sometimes we might give someone a more informal location, just down the road, for example, or you might find us opposite the stand-up inn. If we both know a landmark, we can simply give a, rest, uh, a reference and say, well, it's opposite something, it's near something, if they're familiar with the area. Now, there are, of course, some slightly more technical but absolute and precise methods of describing our location, such as latitude and longitude or an ordnance survey map reference. And all of those, again, would get you pretty close to this building. Now, in an emergency, it's important both to know where you are and to be able to clearly and concisely communicate that to others which can be difficult if you break down far out on a remote stretch of road or need medical assistance while you're climbing halfway up a mountain trail. So for these last few weeks, as Zoe and I have been living offshore with no fixed address or formal abode, I've been using uh, an app called What Three Words, which solves the problem of quickly and precisely identifying any point on Earth by cleverly dividing the entire surface of our planet into 57 trillion three-meter square boxes. Now, that sounds like a huge number, but the statistical trick behind that app is that you can uniquely name and therefore individually identify each and every one of those squares with a unique permutation of just three words. And those words are chosen from a big list of 40,000 regular random English words. For example, right now, the square I am standing in is assigned the three words, Jeeps, Dock, Housework. That's it. Jeeps, Dock, Housework. And using just these three completely random-sounding words, the app will take you not just to Linfield somewhere, not even to the high street or just our front door, but it will get you inside this building, up onto the platform, and close enough that you and I would have to start worrying about social distancing. 
So as we approach our reading, where exactly is it that we find Jacob? Using the What Three Words app, I looked up the location of the town of Baytan in the modern-day West Bank, where it's sort of claimed or believed that Jacob went to sleep that night. And so using the three words, backs, picnic, and shortage, you could figure out just about where he was. But we might use three different, more descriptive words for Jacob's position, perhaps on the run, or in big trouble, or far from home. But in most translations, at the start of our passage, Jacob's location is summed up with three words that could hardly be any less specific. As the sun sets and Jacob is forced to stop in what is described simply as a certain place. I think this willfully vague geographic description is perhaps intentionally ironic. Because if you think about it, in reality, as he closed his eyes that night, Jacob's location and his situation and circumstances were anything but certain. He was in an uncertain physical location. He was just somewhere in the wilderness, having no plan and no lodgings for the night. He's in trouble because he faces an uncertain future with no home, no family, no wife, no children, and no heir. He's estranged from his family to the point where his own brother would kill him on sight. And so it's in this most uncertain of certain places, as the sun sets and the shadows lengthen, that Jacob, exhausted from his journey, rests his head on a rock and falls asleep. And in that uncertain place, he has his famous dream about a ladder. Now, this was not the sort of ladder that you and I might use to get up into our loft or clear leaves out of our guttering. But the word used describes a ziggurat, one of those enormous, gently sloping stone stairways between the earth and the sky, a sort of cross between a pyramid and an escalator. But this sort of imagery might seem alien to us today, but in ancient Mesopotamia, where Jacob lay his head that night, these massive stone structures were fairly commonplace, dotted around the landscape. And the symbolism of their connecting the heavenly world of the gods with man's earthly realm was well known and thoroughly understood. What Jacob sees then that night is a stairway, a bridge, a gateway between heaven and earth. And he sees angels traversing up and down. But he sees God not on that stairway, but on earth beside Jacob. And in the dream, God speaks directly to Jacob, repeating the same promise that God has made to Abraham, the blessing that Jacob has stolen from Isaac. When he wakes up the next morning, Jacob is, of course, in exactly the same place physically that he was before. I'm not sure if you get your sort of hair messed up with bedhead or some craggy imprints on the side of your face if you sleep on a rock. But while nothing else has changed physically about Jacob's appearance or his geography, everything else for Jacob, for the future nation of Israel, 
and for us today has been radically transformed by this encounter with God. Because where the sun had set on complete uncertainty, as it rises, Jacob awakens, suddenly seeing his surroundings and his circumstances in a completely different light. Waking up in what is now revealed to be indeed a very certain place. Verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. That's our sermon in a sentence this morning. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Jacob had not known where he was or more importantly whose he was when he lay down to go to sleep. Graham spoke about doubt last week, but I want to make clear, Jacob was in no doubt. He didn't need God, he didn't want God, he had stolen a blessing, and as far as he was concerned, he was going to take charge of this and do whatever he wanted. The sole mention of God from Jacob's lips prior to this has been to use God's name to deceive his own father. In chapter 27, verse 20, Jacob lies to his father's face, saying, the Lord, your God, gave me success, your God. In the face of suspicion, Jacob has abused his father's trust and faith in his God against him, and he invokes God's name to steal his own brother's blessing. But by verse 21, we find Jacob now making a vow, albeit with some rather terms and conditions attached. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Have you noticed that often those who are most unworthy of our trust are the least trusting of others. So here the ever dodgy Jacob wraps up this first recorded vow in the Bible with small print, with more demands uh, and details than Harry Kane's contract negotiations. However, your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, has become a vow that the Lord will be my God. But while Jacob still has just a few trust issues remaining. His encounter with God leads to a radical transformation. Remember, nothing had changed about where Jacob was or the challenges that he had brought upon himself, but he has a newfound awareness of God's presence, a fresh perspective on his circumstances, and is even coming grudgingly to trust in God's promise for the future. The God of his father has become his God. The certain place is revealed to be the land that God had promised his grandfather. A stolen blessing, it turns out, is Jacob's divine destiny. And even his crude stone pillow is upended and becomes the foundation, the pillar of a temple. Wherever you are, whatever is going on in your life, whatever you have done, You woke up this morning in a certain place. Whether you were aware of it or not, the Lord was there. He is here. Because God doesn't dwell only in sacred, special places. God doesn't hide to make us look for him. He doesn't even need a ziggurat. He doesn't need a steeple. He doesn't even need a stepladder. 
Because the only thing that differentiates an uncertain place from a certain place, or an ordinary place from an extraordinary place, is not where we are, but our awareness of where He is. That wherever we are, He is here. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. While the symbolism of the ziggurat is perhaps specific to Jacob's time and culture, there is a universal message in this passage, revealing the presence, the promises and purposes of a God that echoes throughout the pages of the Old and the New Testament. And they apply just as directly to our lives and to our context and to our locations today. Now, I am a well-known conscientious objector when it comes to the very idea of giving up my home comforts to go camping. But what Jacob discovered on his stone pillow, what the nation of Israel seeks every year at Sukkot, what differentiates Sunday from just another day of the week, is earnestly seeking that deeper awareness of God's presence and a greater gratitude for God's provision. So where do we find ourselves this morning? Because we're living in an uncertain temporary age as the final fruits of the harvest are still being gathered in. A time of thanksgiving for all that God has done in Christ and all that God is doing now by the power of the Holy Spirit. But a time when we must guard against anything that might cause us to lose sight of God or anything that comes between us and the continuing work of gathering in his harvest. Certainly the last 18 months have been a challenging time for each of us, a time of profound uncertainty. Uncertainty over our health, our finances, our relationships, and even our church. Like Jacob, we often find ourselves aware of our problems, but unfortunately unaware of God's presence, blinkered by our stubborn independence or blinded by distractions. What makes the difference is never where we are, but always our awareness of where he is, that surely, whether we feel ready for it or worthy of it, surely the Lord is in this place. He is here. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching or listening right now, whether you're on your phone or laptop out there or in church here, may you know today you are in a certain place. And while I don't know your individual postcode, your circumstances or your problems, no matter which of those 57 trillion squares you are in right now, without using my app, I want you to know three words which always perfectly describe, but more importantly, utterly and totally transform your location. He is here. Three words that change every uncertain place of fear into a certain place of hope. He is here. God has individually placed you where you are with a purpose and protects you with his promise. He is here. 
If you're in church, I invite you to say those words with me this morning, and whenever and wherever you are watching this online, then you might like to type them into the comments so you can share this or make this declaration with us and with each other, so that this morning we can all not just know, but declare together this morning, he is here. Even if you went to sleep last night like Jacob, restless, uncertain, and unaware, we can awaken like Jacob with the dawn, in the light of the certainty that surely the Lord is in this place. He is here. May that awareness, that truth, and that promise transform any and every uncertainty into a sure and a certain hope. May we, his scattered people, be a blessing wherever he has placed us, being his church and building his kingdom wherever he has called us, because he is here. Wherever we are, may we never lose sight of our ever-present Savior. You know, I went looking for He is here verses. You know what I found? The only place we read that you will not find Him comes in both Luke 24 and Matthew 28. Why do you search for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is alive. Christ is not in the empty tomb where they expected to find him. Why not? Because instead, he is here. He is alive with us today. And we must give thanks continually for the promise of his victory to come as we labor to gather in this harvest of this temporary age. Today, may you know for absolute certain that your postcode is a promised land, a place where you are transformed by God and claimed by Christ, because these three words contain one incredible truth. He is here. Amen.